Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Saturday, December 4th, 2021. Today we're going to look at something I like to call an Etsy verse. Now, for those of you probably male listeners that don't know what Etsy is. Well, it's an online marketplace where generally people go to sell things that they have made or created. These could be vintage items, handmade things, art crafts. You know, you make this on your own. And then this is an online marketplace where you can go and kind of set up a shop and sell these things. And especially in Christian circles, you'll see some things kind of in that area that are related to certain Bible verses where a Bible verse is, you know, put on a canvas or something and somebody is selling that and it becomes home decor, right? And some verses do honestly lend themselves more to that, you know, being hung up in your home somewhere or put on a mug or something else than other verses. Um, and we come across one of those today. And what I want us to do is as we consider those verses, there's a reason why often they stand out and would go well on some piece of art or some kind of decoration. They'd be some kind of helpful reminder. But my concern is sometimes then we almost detach those verses from their context. And sometimes, yes, they can be misused, but oftentimes, no, it, it's great. It's a great verse that even stands somewhat alone. But what I want us to see is that when we consider the context often we do get even more of the meaning of that verse and we understand it in a richer way. So there's one phrase in particular in our reading today that really comes across as one of those Etsy phrases, something you would see on a wall hanging or or something in somebody's home. And it's from Psalm 138, which we're reading today. And verse eight begins with this, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Isn't that encouraging? Doesn't that just encourage you to to hear those words? The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Man, that's that's great news, people. Uh, That is comforting right there. That probably wouldn't be a bad idea to have those words hanging on your wall somewhere. But let's consider the whole psalm. Because when we say that the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me, what are we meaning by that? And one concern I would have with a thought like that is that we basically start to think the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me means God is going to make my dreams come true. God is going to accomplish what I want. And that's where I would start by saying, no, look at those words carefully. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. And I think what we're going to find is that verse is comforting, should be comforting, but it will be more comforting when we really find our purpose and God's purpose are aligned. And that's what we're going to see as we consider more of the whole psalm that we're going to see that because it starts really with statements about the greatness of God. In verse one, it says, I give thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. So we need to be clear. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me is not 
a statement that's necessarily meant to exalt me, because what is exalted above everything else is God's name and God's word. That is what is supreme. And that's where I want to suggest to us, we will get more comfort out of this when the purpose of our lives revolves around God's name and God's word, his honor, his glory, what he has said, when the mission of our lives is to honor those things, we will find more comfort by being reminded that God will fulfill his purpose for me. And also then it goes into really a contrast that shows the difference between those that are arrogant and those that are humble. He talks about the kings of the earth that are going to give thanks to the Lord. And it sums it up in verse six, where it says, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. So even there, there's this prize on humility and God, uh, he regards the lowly. We see he is near to the, the humble, right? But he is opposed to the proud. So we'll find more comfort from that statement when our lives are all about God's glory, God's word, and we are the lowly and humble people that God regards, then there's a freedom in saying, the Lord will accomplish his purpose for me. And even I want you to notice that there is a humility in that statement, because again, it does not say the Lord will do all the things I want him to do. There's even a a contentment and an acceptance that, you know what? God's going to do his purpose for me. And I can trust that that purpose is good. And there's a comfort that we should all find in that, uh, that we would all say, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. And even if some of my hopes, some of my dreams don't happen, God's going to accomplish his purpose. And because I'm a humble person that is seeking God's glory more than anything else, I am okay with that. And I know the next phrase that God's purpose isn't going to be bad for me. It's going to be a reflection of what it says next. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. I know that whatever God's purpose is for me, he's not going to forsake me because his steadfast love endures forever. So the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. That's an encouraging word. I hope it's even more encouraging as we've considered all of Psalm 138 today. And I think we see some of this played out as we look at Daniel chapter 1 and 2 today. So we're starting a new book here. Daniel is one of the most familiar books, lots of very familiar stories in this book. So you're probably more accustomed to Daniel than perhaps Ezekiel or Jeremiah or many of the minor prophets that we will get into. And you've heard some of these things before. But as you read chapters one and two today, we're going to see a lot of things that I think show a good example from Daniel, show that Daniel was somebody who was humble before the Lord and truly lived out that the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me and showed that kind of attitude in his life. But even as we look at the good example of Daniel in these verses and these chapters, I want us not to miss that first and foremost, these chapters exalt God. These chapters cast a high view of God. And then Daniel gives us a good example of how to live in light of that high view of God. 
Because uh, that's really what we see, especially in chapter two, we're reminded that God is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords and his kingdom is coming and his kingdom will endure while all the kingdoms of the earth will fade away. That, that should be the headline of really our reading today in Daniel 1 and 2. Uh, the example of Daniel kind of then helps us say, well, how do we live in light of that reality? Well, we see some things. Um, in chapter 1, we see that Daniel is clearly a man of conviction, and that's something we should seek to model, that he will not defile himself. I love how it says in verse 8 where it says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. But then notice even how he goes about it. He goes about it then in a very wise way. We also see a lot in these first two chapters, just a a calm wisdom from Daniel, where when he's pressured to eat the food, he declines, but he does so in a way that, as I said, is calm and wise and even very reasonable. And he makes a deal with the guys that will give us 10 days. And he's given that and then Clearly, God is the one who provides for them and helps them, and it works out. And then in chapter 2, when uh, basically they're coming to collect Daniel to kill him because nobody can interpret the, the dream, notice again the calm wisdom that Daniel responds with. In verse 14, it says, Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. To Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He doesn't respond by freaking out and being afraid. He doesn't respond by lashing back and say, how dare you? You have no right to do this. He responds with prudence and discretion. And he is very reasonable and he requests a time. And uh, then another thing that he tells his friends to do, he tells them to pray. In verse 18, he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So he responds with this prudent prudence and wisdom and prayer. And then we see God provides, God gives him the dream, God gives him the interpretation, and uh, there's really just an amazing example of uh, what God can do. Again, it's first and foremost about God, but we also see the example of Daniel in both of these chapters of just being calm, being wise, being prayerful, and how God works that out. Uh, So uh, really, let's put those first two readings together that we can be people who accept God is going to accomplish his purpose for me. And that gives me a calm. That gives me a peace to then live life in this world in a way that will honor him. Next, let's go to Revelation chapter eight, uh, where we talk about God being the king of kings. And we're going to see him express that uh, through the continuing judgments during this time of tribulation that it talks about in this chapter as it goes from the seventh seal into the seven trumpets and covers the first four of those trumpets. And you'll notice that the degree of intensity seems to be picking up here as we go through these judgments. But notice one thing just to take maybe from Revelation today is as it talks about this seventh seal and all these things that are coming to happen, notice that this other angel in verse three of chapter eight comes and stands at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. Remember the saints with the the seal that is broken a couple chapters before, how they're crying out to God. Uh, When is he going to um, 
do what is right. You know, they were martyred for their faith. And he's saying, how long before you judge and avenge our blood? Well, just notice now a couple chapters later, we see these prayers being a part of the judgment of God. So take maybe just that one thing. If you're going to get one thing out of Revelation 8 today, that these prayers of the saints, they are answered. God will hear the cries of his people. And one of the ways that will be expressed is through judgment on his enemies. Finally, we wrap up today in John chapter 13, verses 21 through 30. And here we really see the story of the betrayal of Judas. And there's some amazing things that the disciples did not know who it was. I think that says some amazing things about Jesus, that Jesus loved Judas in a way that the other disciples couldn't tell, whoa, there's something wrong between Jesus and Judas. Also, I think it says some things about Judas, that Judas was able to play the game pretty well that he was able to put up a front to show uh, or to try to show that he was in with all the other disciples when his heart clearly was not in the same spot. And I do think we see some of that revealed, even if you just go back one chapter to chapter 12 and you remember Mary anointing Jesus with that expensive ointment, right? Uh, And Judas is the one that says, you know, this is a waste, basically. And he does that, it says, because he is a thief. But even notice, there was not a true worship in the heart of Judas, like there was in that heart of Mary, just to show Jesus how special he was to her. That same heart was not in Judas. So Judas was able to put up a front and show some things, but clearly there was a problem in his heart. And one thing that was not in his heart was a true worship, a sense of the incomparable worth of Jesus Christ. And I hope that's something that we all have, that in our hearts, we would say, no, Jesus is worthy. He is worthy of it all. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And my life is about him, his glory, his name, and his word. And that's why, again, I can be so encouraged by a statement like the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. So I hope that encourages you this Saturday. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.